0: Welcome to the Sunday School lesson from Jolton Church of the Nazarene. My name is John Mills. I'm glad we could be together today. We are continuing our series of lessons from Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18. Today we're wrapping up this series of lessons by looking at the last command that Paul gives us. Give thanks in all circumstances. But before we begin the lesson, let's bow our heads for prayer. I want us to pray together the prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians, Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Corrie Tinboom, you may be familiar with that name, she and her family lived in the Netherlands during World War II, and it was occupied by the Nazis. Now, her family was not Jewish, but they sheltered Jews during the Nazi occupation. And when this was discovered, she, her sister, and her father were sent away to concentration camps. She and her sister were placed in the same concentration camp, and at one point, they were moved into a new barracks for women. And these living conditions were awful. It was dark, it was crowded, the smell was horrible. All they had to sleep on was rotten straw. And Corey Tinboom was understandably upset and very discouraged. And then they discovered that this new dorm was crawling with fleas and lice. And this seemed to be the last straw. Corey asks her sister, Betsy, how can we live in a situation like this? Betsy begins to pray about it, and then she comes back to Corey with an answer. She says, Rejoice, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Corey reluctantly goes along with giving thanks for this awful new dormitory, and Betsy even convinces her to give thanks for the lice and fleas, but in her heart, Corey was sure that there was nothing to be thankful for about fleas. But when they moved into this new dormitory, they were able to smuggle in a Bible. And they began holding a worship service each evening. And as the days went on, this service began to grow. More and more inmates joined them. Finally, they had to actually have two services a night. And they became very worried because uh, they were upset or worried that the guards would find out. But what they found was, and they couldn't understand this, supervision was very strict outside the dorm. There were always at least half a dozen guards around. But inside the dormitory room, the guards would never come. And finally, they found the answer. One day, they actually asked a guard to come into the dormitory for some reason. And the guard told them, I'm not going in there. It's full of rat, or lice and fleas. So, all along, they were left alone because of the lice, because of the fleas. And so, Corey found out there was something to be thankful for. Today, our text is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Implementing these three commands unlocks a mechanism that God uses to sanctify us, a way for God to transform us into the image of Christ. And when we fail to see the value of these commands, we miss out on an extraordinary resource that God has provided for us. Sanctification is one of the most powerful ways that God works in our lives. It enables us to live this abundant life that Christ makes possible. We can be confused about what exactly sanctification means, but at its core, sanctification is to be made like Christ. The Holy Spirit fills us and begins to change us into Christ's image. When we look at Christ, we see someone who was completely devoted to the will of the Father. Christ was one who glorified the Father through total obedience. Now, we become like Christ when we are sanctified, as we surrender our will to the will of the Father, when we devote ourselves to bringing glory to the Father. These three commands, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, these seem so simple, but yet they are the key to our sanctification. These are the mechanisms that transform us by allowing us to glorify the Father in everything we do. We talked a little last week of the nature of the Trinity. Three persons in one God glorifying and adoring each other. The Son glorifying the Father, the Father glorifying the Son, the Son glorifying the Spirit, the Spirit glorifying the Son, and so on. But a never-ending dance of mutual love and glorification. And sanctification gains its power because it brings us into this relationship. It allows us to join into this process of adoring and glorifying God. Now, when we are sanctified, we are restored to what we were created to be in the first place. We were created to be image bearers. Genesis tells us, That when God created man, He created man in the image of God. So we were created to reflect God's image on this earth, to be His representative. By glorifying God, we are taking back this role of being the image of God. These three simple commands are so powerful because together they create a synergy. It's a process where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. They support and enhance each other. James Martin writes, Each virtue supports the other in a complex interplay. Prayer awakens gratitude. Gratitude leads to joy. Joy moves us to prayer. So, together, these three actions continue a a self-repeating, self-increasing cycle of bringing ever-increasing glory to God. We've looked at the first two of these commands, rejoice always. When we carry this command out, we bring glory to God by making the deliberate choice to recognize Him at work in this world. When we rejoice always, we are shouting, Our God reigns. Last week, we looked at the second command, pray without ceasing. We bring glory to God as we constantly seek His presence as a means of delighting in him today's lesson when we give thanks in all circumstances we glorify god by proclaiming his absolute fidelity we are putting on display the faithfulness of god as paul proclaims in romans 3:4 let god be true and every man a liar what paul is saying There will be times when everyone else is saying God isn't fair. There will be times when all of the evidence seems to contradict what God is telling us. Times when our human wisdom says that God must be wrong. But Paul is telling us, no matter what, Paul is saying in no uncertain terms, even if everyone is saying one thing while God tells tells us another, you can bet on God being true. God remains right, no matter who opposes him. Now, when some people read this verse, to rejoice, to, to uh, give thanks in every circumstances, they actually are insulted. Edward Hayes is a Catholic priest and he writes that to some, rejoicing always may not just seem impossible, but actually offensive because, They see confronting evil with joyfulness instead of outrage as the cowardly complicity of silence. We think back to our own history. There were those who listened to the slaves singing their African-American spirituals. They listened to these slaves rejoicing and thanking God in the midst of their suffering. And they said, see, slavery isn't that bad. It isn't a true evil. These people are actually happy. We don't want to minimize the suffering and the evil in our world. There is horrible evil that takes place. But this command, to give thanks in every circumstance, this isn't making light of the darkness of this world. And one way that we see this, the man who wrote this command to us, Paul, Paul had earned the right to say this and to be taken seriously. Romans six seventeen, Paul writes, Let no one cause me trouble, because I bear on my body scars for the cause of Jesus. Paul could point to the scars from five whippings when he was given at least 39 lashes. Paul could point to the scars from three beatings with rods, from being stoned almost to death. And this was before he spent several years in prison at the end of his life. So, when we see this command, it requires us to grapple with very serious ideas if we are going to take it seriously. Now, when we're talking in generalities, it's easy to, be, to say, be thankful in all circumstances. But when you make it specific, be thankful when you've convicted of a crime you didn't commit. Be thankful when you contract ALS at an early age. Be thankful when you see your child die, when we put in specifics, it becomes very difficult. If we're going to take this command seriously, to give thanks for everything, while at the same time we face squarely the evil and suffering in this world, we have to ask the question, is God responsible for evil, for suffering? Even if God doesn't cause evil, why would a great and good God allow evil? And what seems to be even more puzzling, why does God prevent some evil, some suffering, while allowing it at other times? It would be one thing to say, well, God doesn't interfere with the consequences of our free will. And so, when men choose evil, there's a consequence. But how do we explain a God who restricts evil at times a God who will step in and thwart the plans of evil men. And yet, at other times, He will allow evil men to succeed and suffering to take place. In today's lesson, we want to take a hard look at what it means to give thanks in every circumstance. And I don't expect us to solve the problem of understanding human evil. Men have been struggling with this for centuries. But maybe we can make a start. Part one of today's lesson, I want us to look at why do we give thanks in all circumstances. We give thanks because to not give thanks, to be ungrateful, opens us up to all kinds of spiritual danger. It leads into great spiritual darkness. We cannot worship God without being thankful. And when God is not worshipped as God, man sets himself up as God. And this leads to a downward spiral of wickedness and depravity. Paul attributes the most evil, the most serious of sins, to being ungrateful. Romans 1, 21 and 22. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile And their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul goes on then to describe the depths of perversity that men fall into without God. He writes of every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Now, why does this happen? Because in our ingratitude, in our refusal to give thanks, we make it impossible to truly worship. Burroughs writes, Worship is not only pleasing God, but being pleased with what God does. To be dissatisfied with God is a slap in the face of God. We are essentially telling God, you are not enough. I need more. John Piper is known for his saying, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. And I want us to take the opposite of that. God is least glorified in me when I am least satisfied with Him. When we don't worship God, when we don't acknowledge Him as God, then we set ourselves up as God, and that brings disastrous consequences. John Piper writes, At the root of all ingratitude is the love of one's own greatness. So you can see why Paul put such an emphasis on thankfulness. This verse that we have from Thessalonians, this is not an isolated scripture. Throughout all of his epistles, Paul stresses that we are to be thankful. Why do we give thanks in every circumstance? Why not just give thanks for the good things? Well, to truly thank God for anything, we have to thank Him for everything. Eric Metaxas writes, We cannot truly thank Him for the good things unless we also thank Him for the bad things. You've heard the expression, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Now, we use this phrase to express a principle that's built into how reality operates. There are conditions that are mutually exclusive. Either one condition is true or the other is true, but they cannot both be true they both can't be real simultaneously. You can have your cake, you can save it for later, or you can eat your cake and enjoy it now. But you cannot do both. You cannot simultaneously have your cake and eat it. And this applies to spiritual principles as well. Jesus gave us an example of this in Mark eleven twenty six. But if you do not forgive Neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, we often understand this to mean that God values forgiveness so much that He withholds forgiveness from us when we will not forgive others. We have the idea God could forgive us if we did, if He wanted to, but He chooses not to. But I think Jesus is giving us another example of this principle, you cannot have your cake and eat it too. Jesus is saying, If you don't forgive, you cannot be part of the kingdom of heaven. And if you never enter the kingdom of heaven, then you cannot be forgiven of your sins. So, we can't say, I will not forgive, but I want to be part of the kingdom and have my own sins forgiven. It just cannot happen this way. Both cannot be true at the same time. And in the same way, you cannot be truly grateful for only some things. In reality, you're either grateful for everything or you're not truly grateful. When you are grateful for some things but not others, you aren't truly grateful, you aren't truly worshiping God because you're not grateful for God Himself. You're glad to have the things that He gives to you. And there is a big difference between these two. You're not finding God of infinite worth You're worshiping the blessings that He provides. When we are grateful for some things but not others, we're not worshiping. We're setting ourselves up in judgment of God. We aren't finding God of infinite value. We are deciding when He has value and when He does not. When we are selective in our giving thanks, what we're saying, God is worthy of my praise, my gratitude in this area. But he's dropped the ball over here. To give thanks in all circumstances is true worship because we are acknowledging God's absolute fidelity. God is always true to himself, true to his nature. By giving thanks in all circumstances, we are proclaiming that God is always faithful, that God can be trusted absolutely. We are demonstrating our absolute confidence That God is God in other words we are proclaiming God's holiness holiness is not something God does holiness is who God is and while it's easy to say that we trust in God's holiness talk is cheap after all by giving thanks in every circumstance that we face we have the opportunity to prove we mean what we say now We often say things we don't really mean. We say the things that we know we're supposed to say, the things that will make others see us in the way that we want to be seen. One of the big problems with polls that makes polls inaccurate, instead of saying what they really believe, people say the things that make them look good. They say the things that they are expected to say. As Christians, We know what we're supposed to believe about God. We know what Scripture tells us, that God is absolutely dependable, that God is absolutely trustworthy, that God's ways are always best. And so we want to be considered good Christians, so we say we believe this, but do we really? We know how important it is to believe. Our very salvation is based on our belief. Acts 13, 31 Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. John 20, verse 31. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, believing, you may have life in His name. The problem is, we don't really understand what Scripture means by believe. We have this idea that to believe simply means to agree that Jesus is God. To believe is to accept a concept as true. A believer is the opposite of an atheist, one who denies God. But the problem in the New Testament, to be a believer meant much more than this. It went far beyond this. To believe in Jesus wasn't just acknowledging the existence of God. There were very few atheists in those days. Everyone believed that God existed. But they failed to worship God, they worshiped false gods. So, to believe in Christ was not to switch from being an atheist to acknowledging the reality of God. Instead, to believe in Christ was to switch loyalties from false gods, to swear your allegiance to Christ as the one true God. When you said, I believe in Christ, you weren't just saying, I agree with the idea that Christ is God you are declaring your intent to enter into a vow of faithful relationship to Christ. So, to say I believe in Christ is to say I will live my life under the direction of Christ, following His will. I will not substitute my judgment for His. I will not replace what He desires with what I want, because I believe that only Christ can truly bring me life. When I believe in Christ... I trust him, absolutely, because I believe in what he says. I believe that all he does is best. Now, it's easy to say this with our mouths. Our actions demonstrate whether we really believe it or not. Jesus said in Luke 9, 24, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. We can say that we believe the words of Jesus here, but then when we spend our lives trying to grab as much as we can for ourselves, when we spend our lives trying to make sure we can satisfy any desire that we have, our actions show that our words are but a lie. James tells us it's not enough to simply say that you have faith. Your faith has to be backed up by your actions. He writes, I will show you my faith by my deeds. Giving thanks in all circumstances allows us to put feet to our faith. It allows us to put our money where our mouth is, to put skin in the game, so to speak. By giving thanks in all circumstances, we become participants rather than merely spectators. We've all known people who were great at describing what should be done, at telling you what should be done but who never actually did anything themselves. We can find ourselves talking a great game. We live up to the Texas expression of all hat, no cattle. We have the hat, we look the part, but there's no substance to our lives. So it's one thing to go along proclaiming our belief that God is good and glorious and powerful. When we give thanks in every circumstance, we are truly glorifying God. We are recognizing His infinite worth. Now, in part two of the lesson, if we recognize we should be giving thanks, how do we actually do it? How do we give thanks in every circumstance? And we, we have to begin by changing our mental filters. It's not the outside world or the situation that causes our emotional reactions. It's the mental filter that our situations pass through. It's our interpretation of events that cause our emotional reactions. I like the expression, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Now, the first change to our mental filters, we cannot know whether a situation is good or bad. We simply aren't in a position to judge. There's an ancient Chinese story of a farmer who owns only one horse. And one day, that horse runs away. His neighbor comes over and says to commiserate with him, I'm so sorry about your horse. And the farmer says, Who knows what's good or bad? The neighbor is confused because this is clearly terrible. The horse is the most valuable thing the farmer owns. But the next day, the horse comes back, And he brings with him 12 wild horses. The neighbor comes back over, this time to celebrate. Congratulations on your great fortune. And the farmer replies again, Who knows what's good or bad? And the next morning, the farmer's son is taming one of the wild horses. He's thrown and breaks his leg. The neighbor comes back over. I'm so sorry about your son. The farmer repeats, Who knows what's good or bad? And sure enough, the next day, the army comes through the village. They conscript all of the able-bodied young men to go fight in the war, but the son is spared because of his broken leg. So the point is, we often jump to conclusions without really knowing the situation. We often don't know whether something is good or bad. We can leave that up to God to know He's always working for our good. The second change that we need to make to our mental filters, we need to affirm that God's ways are higher than our ways, that we are in no position to judge God's actions. Many of you know the story of Johnny Erickson Tada. She was paralyzed from the neck down while just a teenager. She dove off of a raft and she broke her neck between the fourth and fifth vertebrae, became an instant quadriplegic. Now, the instant this happened, she was paralyzed, completely unable to move her arms and legs. And so she found herself on the bottom of the water, unable to get back to the top. She would have drowned in just a few minutes. Now, her sister was with her, but her sister had turned and was trying to climb out of the water. And so she had her back to Johnny. She did not realize that Johnny was in trouble. But at that moment... A crab bit her sister on the toe. And her sister turned around to tell Johnny, watch out, the crabs are biting. And when she does, she sees Johnny's hair under the water. And Johnny's hair is a bleached peroxide white. Now, this had only happened the night before. Her natural hair was more of a brown. She calls it a mousy brown and it blended perfectly with the water but the night before she had made the decision that she wanted to be a blonde and so she had dyed her hair a bright white and when her sister saw this hair she was able to recognize johnny realize something was wrong and pull johnny out of the water johnny testifies to this day that god worked two miracles here having the crab bite her sister's toe and then having Johnny bleach her hair so that she would be seen. So the question is, if God worked a miracle with the crab bite and with the peroxide hair, if he did this to prevent Johnny from drowning, why didn't God do something to prevent the accident in the first place? Eric Metaxas writes a book on miracles where he discusses this issue. Why does God help? with sometimes seemingly trivial things, but not with others. What sense can we make of a God who helps us find our car keys, but doesn't stop the Holocaust? Metaxas concludes by saying, if people are insisting on a system, they are misunderstanding God. When we give thanks in every circumstance, we are fitting into God's system rather than insisting that God fit our preconceptions. The third change to our filters. We understand that suffering is not what is truly dangerous. The great danger that we face is from sin. Suffering can affect our human body, but it can't touch the soul. Sin can and does destroy the soul, the real me, the eternal me. In Luke 12, 4, Jesus tells his disciples something that we find hard to believe he tells them do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more now to us, this seems like something very major someone who can kill our bodies but Jesus says fear him who can throw you into hell we look at the suffering in this world and we ask why do bad things happen to good people when Socrates the Greek philosopher was asked this question His response was, no evil can happen to a good man. Now, he's not saying that bad things don't happen, but what he's saying is these things are not truly evil because they do not touch the soul. True evil occurs when a man makes evil choices and destroys his soul. It's far better to be the one suffering evil than the one perpetuating evil. Jesus made the same point when he said in Mark eight thirty six, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or, if we think of it in reverse, What will it cost a man if he loses the whole world, and yet saves his soul? St. Teresa wrote, uh, when she wrestled with these questions, she writes that the most horrible life on earth filled with the most atrocious sufferings, will be seen from the viewpoint of heaven to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. When we give thanks in all circumstances, we realize the circumstances we consider to be all-important are often more trivial than we realize. The fourth change to our filters is to realize that God's ultimate purpose is to make us holy. He shapes and purposes everything toward the end result of making us perfect in Him. And He does this because of His absolute love for us. When we love someone, we want what is best for them. And we are willing to do whatever it takes to provide for their best. God loves us too much to allow us to settle for anything less than perfection. It's easy for us to get our priorities mixed up to want the wrong things to desire the lesser things jesus commanded us in matthew 5:48 be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect c s lewis writes jesus is telling us here the only help i will give you is to become perfect you may want something less but i will give you nothing less john piper writes god knows what he's doing in our losses Trust Him. The point of all this is that our main disease in this world is preferring other things over God. And the way our great physician delivers us from this disease is by knocking out from under us every futile pleasure that threatens our eternal joy. We get confused thinking God's purpose is to make us happy when His ultimate goal is to make us holy. The irony is, it's only when we are holy that we can be truly happy. Piper concludes, when you come to Christ, the temple of your soul is filled with idols, and the smashing of these idols by the Lord of the temple will be a lifelong experience of happy pain. Now, when we do this, when we begin to give thanks in all circumstance, then we realize this requires the supernatural grace and assistance of God. It's only possible through his help. There are things that we can do, and it's part of God's grace that he allows Christians and non-Christians to reap the benefits of being grateful. And we found that being grateful has emotional benefits uh, that are very helpful. It uh, grateful people are happier overall. Grateful people have less depression, less stress. Graceful pe- grateful people have stronger immune systems. And so we can adopt practices to make us more grateful. And these are, are helpful. But if we are going to truly give thanks in every circumstance, there are going to be times when our human nature our willpower is simply not enough. But fortunately, as Christians, we have the additional resource of the Spirit. We have grace poured into our lives through the Spirit of Christ. And we need this supernatural grace. Paul doesn't just say, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. He goes on to say, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's calling is His enabling. Any obedience that God calls us to, any requirements that He puts upon us, He provides the grace to make it possible. God enables our obedience. Second Corinthians 9, 8 God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. And then Philippians 4.13 tells us, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now, when we give thanks in every circumstance, we see the reality that God is always at work, and this allows us to live without worry, to face life secure in the knowledge of God's providence, to live free of stress and anxiety. I like this quote from John Piper. He tweeted, God is always doing 10,000 things in our lives, and we are aware of only three of them. When we give thanks in everything, we no longer have to worry. We can trust God to provide everything we need. We can trust that God will work everything out. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God has provided a powerful mechanism for our sanctification, a way of transforming us into the image of Christ as we glorify God. When we make this command to give thanks in every circumstance, when we make this a reality in our lives, we are showcasing the holiness of God. And as we promote His holiness, we are made holy. 2 Corinthians 3, or chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into His image. With ever increasing glory. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these commands that you've given us, these mechanisms that you use to work your gift of great sanctification into our lives. We ask that you would help us to take these commands to rejoice always, to pray continually, to give thanks in every circumstance, that we take them seriously to bring glory to you, that we might be fully sanctified in your name. Amen.